Howdy, welcome back to another Tales from the Pits with Andrew and Brian. All right, so we're going to talk this time a little bit about our experiences, you know, moving from eating barbecue to competition and then into actually cooking barbecue. Believe it or not, as hopefully for more than a hobby down the road, but um, as a serious endeavor, not just cooking in the backyard for friends. Right, uh, yeah, our, you know, we talked a little bit in the previous podcast about our, our journey through getting into barbecue and becoming obsessed with eating barbecue, but that, you know, that, that has grown as, a, if you guys uh, know us a little bit off the air, you know that we have pretty addictive personalities, like when we become obsessed with something, we kind of dive headfirst into it. Kind uh, of, he said kind uh, of. Yeah, 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 just kind of. Uh, <laughs> But we, you know, it's grown to where, you know, we started after we, you know, after we ate God knows how much barbecue, you know, we decided, well, you know, how can we learn to cook barbecue better? You know, and, and we've talked to multiple different pit masters throughout the state that have gone and had success at their own restaurant and continue to improve their own product by eating other people's barbecue. And we're both firm believers that one of the best ways to learn how to make better barbecue is to eat better barbecue. And, and I know a lot of people may go, eating barbecue doesn't make you an expert, and it doesn't. But, Absolutely. But if you eat enough barbecue from enough different places, you at least know all the different variances. And you can then, as long as you're subjective, you can then taste your own and and decide, you know, and, and say, is this right? Is this wrong? How does this match? And, and, and I'm sorry, be objective. Um, and, and just not biased to your own stuff. So we got into this, and the first idea, you know, like for me when I was doing bicycling, everybody would ask me if I've, if I've done the MS-150. I was doing long-distance bicycling rides at the time um, as far as 250 miles. And everybody would ask me, have you done the MS-150? Have you done the MS-150? And no, and I never did. And it's a great event. It's something people should do and can do. That's wonderful, but it just wasn't for me. And, and barbecue competition was one of those questions and of course still is they always ask yeah. if you do any competition barbecue what's the number one place they ask you about oh it's oh as far as which competition have yes you done? yes oh well there's always have you done the rodeo cook-off right that's, that's always the one yeah. that comes up have you done the rodeo cook-off have you done the rodeo cook-off so so we got into this and we said well let's do let's do some competitions and we started with non-sanctioned and we won't go into the different sanctioning bodies and sanctioning versus non-sanctioning but we jumped into it you know with with a Hopefully, what we thought was a good plan, bought some quality meat, um, cooked the way we thought we wanted to cook, and didn't do too well. Right, absolutely. Well, especially, and you know, I'll, I'll take a lot of the blame on this myself because I'm stubborn, I'm pig headed. Brian knows this very much yes. about me. I like the barbecue I like, I love the barbecue I love, and I'd rather lose cooking the barbecue I like to eat than win cooking barbecue I'd hate to eat. And to win a competition 99 times out of 100, you're going to have to cook something you would probably never want to eat. Designed for one single bite by the judges, you have to maximize all the flavors, and usually it's going to be a very sweet bias on the food. It, you might have a little bit of heat in there, but you're trying to get to a, a particular palate that is not something you'd eat a whole plate full of. Right. The, the biggest thing that anyone that's done competitions will tell you, and we talked to plenty of people that gave us plenty of advice, is sweet beats heat. You know, always go on the always err on the sweet side because you want it to be memorable for the judge. But ridiculously sweet, unfortunately, is is where it's gone. That that right. whole that whole niche of competition has has just gotten to me. It's a bizarre circus, you know. With with we at one of the other well, the last one we did was 
two dance floors with disco balls and DJs, <laughs> and, you know, and, and these, of course, you know, drinking has always been part of barbecue as long as I know, but it's just this whole different thing that's not what we wanted to do, but I drugged Andrew along as long as we could. Our second event was a, um, was we, we were able to get use of the tin roof barbecue trailer, which so many thanks to those folks. Absolutely. It was an amazing trailer, uh, three different pits on there, air conditioning, um, and we and it was a neighborhood. It was a neighborhood competition, a large neighborhood though, a, a subdivision. Yeah, it was non-sanctioned, um, but we you know we were able to cook a, a couple of different briskets. We were able to cook multiple racks of ribs. There was open competition. Uh, you know, we, we try, you know we tried to get creative with things like that. You know, and, and we got a couple of calls as far as place. You know, we placed in a couple of things. Yeah, and we had a good time more often. You know, more than anything is you know we had fun doing it. Um, it's still, I don't think, and I want to speak for Brian, it, it still, even back then, wasn't what I, th- what I thought I would want to do with my spare barbecue time was, because, and if you've ever done any competitions, it's an expensive endeavor. It's very, especially now, and again, as, as it continues to, to migrate towards this bizarre world, you know, Wagyu is a very common brisket for people to order, even, even in non-sanctioned events, it's it's ridiculous to see the amount of money that's put into these. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of crazy. I mean, you, you can drop you know over a thousand dollars on a weekend of cooking barbecue, and if you if you win first place, you might have won your money back. I mean, it's, it's or if it's for a charity, which was our our third one, we donated. I mean, we won a fifty fifty raffle. Um, we did get a call in brisket, but at the end of the day, we donated that money back because it was for a charity. So there was no no sense of profit or success unless people are going for that you know tv barbecue pit masters that type of mentality myron mixon or or tuffy stone level but that's like it's like playing football in high school hoping that you're going to get to be on a super bowl team it's such a small number of people get there yeah yeah it's it's really it you know it's you know a needle in you know a field full of haystacks you know it's the the odds of becoming anything like that are so incredibly slim and the amount of money, like we said, you'd spend to do that, to us, just, you know, if, if competition is something you love and you enjoy doing it and it's your hobby, I get it. You well, know? mostly it, it, the problem we had and that finally kind of flipped me out of competition path is that we weren't cooking food that we wanted to eat. Right. In order to try to cook for the judge's palate, it's not something we wanted to eat. And that was really tough because when you're making your, your rubs and your seasonings and, and your glaze on your ribs... Admittedly, there's some competition ribs that have done very well commercially, and there's some competition folks. You know, West Jarena is an example where he's taken his competition ribs to a commercial state that are doing well. But you eat, especially I've been a judge at, at three different ones now, and it's just, I, I just didn't understand it, to be honest. And, and Andrew sat down at that third one that we did and said, look, let's just cook the food we want to cook, you know, and, and maybe we show up at a bar with some ice chests full of food. And we hand it out, and, and that's still going to cost us the same as a competition. And maybe we ask for donations, and then we're offsetting the cost. So ultimately, that's where we went. The next step was let's just literally showed up at a bar one night with food that we had cooked that day. Right. I mean, it was it, it really was that comically simple in a way. Um, there's a local bar up in, or local to me, up in my neighborhood, um, up in Old Town Umble called The Hop Stop. Um, that you know uh, started going in there right after they opened, became a little friendly with the owners, and I, and I literally told them I said, "Hey, uh, I'm going to bring some barbecue up and serve your customers next weekend." 
I don't think they really fully understand what I meant by that. <laughs> I'm not sure I understood what I meant by that. I don't think we had any idea going into this. I mean, you know, obviously you have these grandiose things in your mind, but, you know, when it comes down to actually planning this out and planning the timing, planning the cook, deciding what you want to bring and how much you want to bring, you know, at, at the time Scott Sandlin was with us helping us out, and we had this ridiculous menu of we did four different kinds of ribs. <laughs> yes, um, we did. Four different kinds of ribs. We did uh, poblano stuffed chicken. We did chicken tacos. Obviously, the brisket. I can't even remember. We did all cri- of we had we had Kreitz market sausage. Uh, we had at least three sides with us. Um, but it was it was the most disorganized. You know, no no equipment. We showed up with with a cooler and we stacked everything together. So the brisket was stacked <laughs> on top of the ribs, which was stacked with the other meats. Um, which, of course, if, if the first one of the first tips we'll give you is, number one, you need to rest your brisket. Everybody should know that by now. I would say a minimum of four hours. The cooler trick works great. Just make sure you put a towel on the bottom of the cooler because I melted my first cooler, <laughs> um, which is a damn good marine igloo. Um, but, you know, the rest your meat, that was a big thing. But the, the other tip and probably the, the biggest, most important tip that we learned right off the bat is you need to keep the different meats separate and your ribs and briskets perfect example right yeah we, we put our briskets right on top or our ribs right on top of our briskets and all it's going to do is that 200 degree brisket is going to cook the holy living you know what out of the rest of those ribs that if they were cooked to the perfect temperature when you pulled them off the pit and wrapped them they're going to be way overcooked by the time you try to serve those suckers. So, yeah, we learned that one the hard way. We learned a lot of hard lessons that first day. I mean, it was still, we had a blast doing it. I'm not going to talk about the poblanos. We're just not <laughs> going to bring that up, okay? I, we, um, we had so much fun we, doing it. We the, the thing we did, the other thing was that we didn't practice or test kitchen any of the stuff. No. We literally put a menu together without without even seeing if it was good. we I mean, we know brisket is brisket and ribs are ribs for the most part. No, but not when you a, have four different kinds of them. <laughs> and you're yeah, trying to figure out. And, yeah. and we did Jamaican jerk, peanut butter and jelly, uh, traditional. We, like a Central Texas style. And I, I don't even remember what the I other can't ones remember. were. I mean, they were just, it was. By the end of the night, we would ask people what which one they wanted. And then I, I'll just, never, I'll never forget, you know, we were digging through Because by the way, they were all wrapped in aluminum foil. And none of them were labeled. None of them were labeled. <laughs> so, so we would open one up and just look at it and go, yeah, yeah, this is the one you want. This is the one you want. Uh, the other problem with that is, is of course, as you open your meat and close your meat, and uh, there's probably lots of euphemisms there, but as you open and close the boxes, as you open and close the wrappers, your meat's going to get colder over time, and you want to try to keep it at, at proper temperatures. So the other tips here are, you know, number one, don't cook four kinds of ribs, but even <laughs> if you do, make sure you have a good labeling system, and you segregate those out properly so you know which ones are which, and you only open the ones you need. Right, and, and amazingly enough, and you know, credit to Rick and Don Tyler at Hopstop, even after the comedy of errors that was that first pop-up, they allowed us to come back. Um, and, you know, and, and we learned a lot of really good lessons, a lot of hard lessons that first one. Um, and you know, we, we had a much more focused menu, and our, our menu's gotten more focused as we've gone along. Um, we still try to bring something new every time because you know that's the way our brains work. We try to we try to push the envelope. We don't want to just get content with serving the same three sides, the same three types of meat, things like that. But one uh, of the things that's good, you know, working with each other is we challenge each other a lot, and we're not afraid to say if we don't like something. Uh, we're not afraid to to question why we did this, why we did that. 
Um, you know, we've done with a lot of the sides, you know, some of the things we can tell people are, are keep it simple at first. You know, don't get ridiculous and put 50 different ingredients in there. Rubs are the same thing, very basic rubs. Uh, but definitely, you know, just because you like something doesn't mean somebody else is going to like something. We've had fights over things like black olives uh, in, in certain dishes, um, which is okay because, you know what, we're, we're trying to build for the audience. And that's another tip we can get into, which is it, whether it's a backyard cook or whether it's your family, know the audience you're cooking for. Right. You, if, you, if you just cook for yourself, a lot of times you're going to be the only one that ends up eating it. You know, you, you've really got to know what your audience is. And we know we're serving people at a craft beer bar. You know, we're, we're fortunate where we serve at most of the time. Our, we have a more willing audience as far as what they're willing to try, what they're not willing to try. Air quotes around the word willing. That's great. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we've had some things that we thought we, you know, were really good, tasted, re- you know, tasted exactly how we wanted it to taste, and they just didn't sell well. And it could be a myriad of things of, you know, cream corn is another thing. We thought we did a really good version of a really good cream we've corn. We've tried hard on the cream corn. Yeah. From shucking fresh corn that, um, you know, we now have to try to outsource to our wives. <laughs> Thank you to the wives yeah. as well who, who, who do this. But, you know, Andrew, again, this is where we challenge each other to, to keep getting down to scratch, as close to scratch as we can, to try to get the freshness, right. the flavors to pop. Absolutely, because you know, at the end of the day, we both have full-time jobs. We don't do this because we're just trying to make a quick buck. We're doing it because we're truly passionate you about can it. Make a buck on this? Uh, yeah, about a buck, if yeah, you're lucky. I just try to pay the bartender. <laughs> yeah, we, we we do this because it's a passion for us. Because we we enjoy learning, we enjoy serving people. You know, we enjoy pushing ourselves to make the best barbecue we can possibly make. And we'll be the first to tell you. We're the harshest critics we have. We're very rarely are we pleased with something that we do. And we're constantly surprised by what our audience will like and will not like. Uh, I know a thing that we've recently unveiled that if you follow us on social media you've seen is we're doing a chicken enchilada sausage right now. Um, that you know, we, Now we're to the point we test everything out multiple times amongst each other before we ever serve it to the public. And the chicken enchilada sausage is something that, that Brian came up with. And the first time I tried it, I was absolutely blown away. Because you hear the name and and you're like, well, that could be gimmicky. It could be this. It could be that. But it's absolutely, in my opinion, absolutely delicious, unique. It's not something you can get most places in Houston or even in Texas for that matter. Until we've talked about it. Now it'll be like a staple everywhere else. Yeah, now you'll see it on 10 barbecue menus. But, <laughs> yeah. but the first time that we served it at, at one of our pop-ups... It sold out. It was one of the first things to sell out. And we were really pleasantly surprised at our audience. And I, and I think that speaks to over the last year that we've been serving there, you know, people have come to, to trust us when we make things um, and that we wouldn't put it on a menu if we didn't think it was a quality product. But we sold out of that really, really fast. And, and, and it really and we got some really good feedback on it. You know, and we haven't perfected it yet. We're, it's still a work in progress, but it's uh, to us, it's a really unique bite to us. And it's something that we've been able to bring the barbecue community that uh, that that's something we're really proud of because it's not something that you'll see on, on every barbecue menu. But you know, for every one dish that we've had that's been successful, we've had three or four dishes that have never even been served to the public because we tried it and we're like, nah, it just doesn't right. quite work. And and you know, sausage is a good topic that we'll cover in a future podcast about the art and science of sausage, which is something that just fascinates me. It, it allows you to be creative. It allows you to go in different directions. Um, but it still has a strong tie to Texas. It still has a strong, strong tie to uh, Czech and German and, and barbecue in general. You've got the smoke aspect of it, which is great. 
Um, definitely, but it's not for the first timer to do, you know, uh, just getting the proper casings, you know, uh, special thanks to World Casing Corp. Um, who's given us some sample casings that's really upped our game recently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the things that we'll give you tips on when, you know, when we do a podcast that you know, focuses more on sausage. The casing makes a huge difference in the quality of sausage that you're going to produce. It, you know, we didn't realize how huge of a difference until we got the World Casing Corp you know, casings. And boy, boy, what a difference they made. Yeah, we've really struggled with that. Um, but, you know, and, and again, we'll, we'll focus more on sausage in the future. Um, talk a whole. I mean, we can talk a whole podcast about what different places and and what we've learned, but more to the people that are going to be doing their barbecue or just in on their way. You know, brisket is the first one, the biggest one. People that struggle with it's it's the most difficult of all the barbecue meats to do right. By far, by far, and you know, and we'll be the first to tell you. We hate cooking brisket. Not because we hate brisket. We love brisket pretty much more than anything in the world. But cooking it, it takes a lot of focus. It takes, you know, a lot of time. My to ADHD really... just can't handle brisket. <laughs> I get so, you know, the stall, for people that, that aren't familiar, the stall is, I believe it's a malleard effect, but it, it's it's a point in the cooking time when the brisket stops, the temperature stops rising, and it can stop for hours. And you get frustrated at that point. Some people do. Um, and I'm one of those, and so you want to just crank up the heat and speed things along, but you can't. And so that's that's one of our first tips on brisket, is brisket is going to be done when it's going to be done. And yes, you can cook hot and fast. There are different ways to cook brisket, but you need to make sure this goes to resting your brisket in the times. It's better to make, to rest a brisket longer than it is to try to shoot for a specific time. We, we did the dinner one time. And uh, how long did that brisket go? Oh, at least 20 hours before we finally pulled off the pit. And I, and I don't even think it was perfect. We pulled it off in frustration. Yeah. It was it was two hours after our dinner when we pulled that, that brisket right. off. Right. L- luckily, this was a friends and family event and not a barbecue event. We've, we've fortunately never come to a pop-up without brisket. Um, you know, well... That's not true. We've we've had pop ups where we intentionally didn't serve brisket, right, right. but but yeah, we never... didn't we didn't overshoot the brisket for right. a pop up. So yeah, we've learned that a lot. Is you know we time our briskets to be done well before our service because we have proper equipment now to where we can hold our briskets at the proper temperature, where it's safe, where it's legal, and where the brisket has time to rest. The you know the rendered fat and the juices inside the brisket have time to redistribute, and by the time we're ready to serve it, it's that it's that perfect serving temperature. So we wrap the briskets. After the stall, you know, the typical pink butcher paper that everybody's seen from Orwin. Um, Orwin or Owen? Owen, I think. Um, anyway, we'll correct Google that at some it, point. You'll yeah, find it, you'll yeah. find it. Just look for pink butcher paper. You can buy it at Franklin Barbecue. Um, <laughs> only the 18 inch wide roll. Um, but you can buy it at places like Allied Kenko or through Amazon. Um, and it's not magical paper, but the effect of wrapping is very important. Um, it does keep the, the bark from drying out too much, it helps seal in a little bit. But during the, the resting time, which is important, you know, you can use the, the sort of redneck, but it, I believe it actually stems back from maybe Vinsel Mayers and Taylor Cafe of, of letting them rest in a, a, you know, we say it's a cooler, it's an ice chest, but it's not cold. What you do is the best way to do it is to, to put hot water, not boiling, but very hot water in there, let it set for a few minutes, dump that water out. And then set the brisket in there on top of a towel uh, and close it and let it set. Just don't even peek for about at least, I, I say four hours is usually what I like to do, but a minimal of two. Right. Yeah, and, and like I said, brisket's tricky. It takes a lot of trial and error. I, you know, we have, I'm not going to say by any stretch that we've perfected brisket. You know, it's still a work in progress for us. So, you know, I think I think we turn out some pretty good brisket, but, uh, but it's something we're always trying to improve on. 
Um, and good luck to you if you if you start going down that road with brisket because it, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of hours, you know, a lot of time stoking fire. Um, so we've you know we, you know we try our, our goal with our barbecue is for us to have a quality menu from start to finish. You know, because you can get good brisket, I won't say anywhere, but numerous places these days. So we try to offer different things, and uh, and again, it's it's all about what people are used to eating. Um, one of the things I think that we do best right now is I think we're we're producing a really quality pulled pork. Um, a pulled what? I know, but but is that is that from the butt or the shoulder? <laughs> both. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is, if you grew up in Texas, especially, you grew up with where if pulled pork was. Hey, on, I grew up in Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard. Yeah. Okay. Just check. So it. then you should I have know. To what say I'm, that. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> you should know what I'm talking about. Oh well, then. I didn't. I, I'm I'm not kidding. I don't even know if I knew what pulled pork really was. I mean, I've seen it. It was on the menus in some places, but we didn't order that. I mean, you know, it was brisket, sausage, ribs. And really, for me, it was brisket and sausage and then ribs and baby backs after that. I mean, pulled pork just wasn't an option. The pulled pork that we had was, was kind of colorless. It was kind of one monotone color. Um, maybe it was bathed in some weird sauce. Um, of course, you know, North Carolina style is, is a mustard sauce, but maybe it didn't even have that. Just some kind of weird sauce, and yep. it just wasn't the same. South Carolina is the South mustard. Carolina. There North we Carolina go. is the vinegar. Okay, see, see someone will correct us if we're both wrong on that. Oh, of I'm course, sure. yeah. But but yeah, but both of them are wrong. To be honest, <laughs> just so you know, but what yeah. we do is a Texas. What we call anyway is a Texas style pulled pork, and what does that mean? Right. Well, I mean, we treat our our pulled pork a lot like a brisket, um, as far as the way we season it, the way we cook it, the way we hold it. Um, you know, you know, our, our pulled pork, and we're not going to give away all of our secrets of our pulled pork here because damn it, we like it. We're but, trying to get into the barbecue Illuminati. <laughs> we really are. And so we got to have some secrets. Right. Right. But you know, we, we hold it, we try to pull it to order, um, as opposed to pulling all of it at once, which I think is a mistake that a lot of barbecue places have made because especially again, if you're serving pulled pork in Texas, you may cook one butt in a day. And someone, our pitmaster recently told us they sell, they sell 10 briskets to every one pork butt that they sell. So if you pull that that you know that pork butt at the beginning of the day, it's sitting in a steam pan or in in you know in your warmer all day long. It's going to be mush. It's going to be going to be mush, which is what we've tasted in yeah, some places. Mushy meat. Um, if you haven't sauced it or if you don't have any juices in there, it's going to be dry, mushy meat, uh, and it's just not going to taste very good. So you know we we worked a lot on our pulled pork and we think we have it at a pretty good spot now where we're really proud of it. But for the longest time, we had a heck of a time selling it to anybody, and I'm sure. Well, they... we we still do. Sometimes we've we've had to give away samples. Absolutely. And, and you know, again, as, as a tip for those trying to get into the business, samples are a great way. You can use a little, small little condiment cup. You don't have to give out a whole plate of this stuff. Uh, but it it drew people in and, ha- yeah. and had them come in and buy it. There were people that um, didn't have it. They didn't they didn't order it. They didn't know what it was. Sometimes we'll just drop a little on their plate and say, "Hey, try this and let us know." Right. And we were fortunate enough. Um, for, well, fortunate for our business, uh, Hopstop asked us to do a couple of specialty events for them where all they wanted us to do was pulled pork and maybe some sausage. So in a way, it almost forced our customers to eat pulled pork. If they wanted to eat food, they had to eat, they had to have some pulled pork. And I think you know we've been fortunate that some people have been turned on to it. They you know they've they, they've had it a couple of times and they you know they know that it's a quality you know piece of meat. And we we probably sell more of it now you know the last couple of pop ups than we did the first three or four times that we tried to sell it. Um, brisket's still, you know, obviously probably the most popular thing that we, that we do because we're in Texas, but, uh, but we've, we've been fortunate that our customers have, 
been open to trying different things and, uh, and and we've done our best to try to provide it for the home cook you know the best thing about pulled pork here's another tip is price you know you can get them on sale but even when they're not on sale it's not an expensive cut of meat so you can always pick up one pick up a butt when you're picking up your briskets and and throw it in there try it like andrew said cook it like you would cook a brisket season it similar um temperature wise is about the same right and, i mean you can go hotter it. with it i mean it, it's not going to hurt it um you know, you, you can go, I, I, we usually don't go to 300, but you can go as high as 300 with your pork butt and it's not going to hurt it. Um, but, but yeah, you, you can cook a little harder than brisket or you can cook it low, you know, even lower and slower. But, uh, but that's, that's one of the things that we've really tried to bring to the market that we just don't think there's a whole lot of in Houston right now is, is real quality pulled pork and, and barbecue places that are really investing time and resource into making quality pulled pork. So as you talk about some of the things that, you know, we've learned and improved upon over time, um, you know, we're trying to balance this podcast between the home cooks, the people that are doing pop-ups. Um, even if you're doing competition, hopefully at least we're entertaining for you. Um, don't beat us up because we don't like competition. Um, but because here's the deal with competition, folks. It, it is an art. It is a craft. It takes a tremendous amount of work to succeed in competition. And we're not mocking any of that aspect of it because... It's a very specialized thing that takes great, great effort and work. It's just not the type of food we want to cook, uh, and it's not what we want to do at the end of the day. But uh, we look at, at the different options, different meats. You know, uh, what other kind of tips, anything on ribs? Because we do, we do a lot of ribs. We're very proud of our ribs. Yeah, I mean, well, with ribs, I don't think we're doing anything super secret out there that a lot of places aren't doing. Um, personally, we're both fans of full pork spare ribs. Um, we... We just what, like the, what, are you, what do you mean by a full pork spare rib? Well, tell the people. All right. Well, you know, if you're not familiar with it, there's you know, pork spare ribs. There's pork spare ribs. There's what they call St. Louis cut ribs, and there's what they call baby back ribs. Discount baby back for now because we do we like baby back ribs, but it's not it's not something we've cooked a whole heck of a lot of. We've done it once or twice at a pop up. Um, but the difference between St. Louis cut ribs and full pork spare ribs is full pork spare ribs have a portion of the breastbone still on the uh, on the rib when you buy the rib, whereas the, the St. Louis cut ribs have been completely squared off. That's why if you see them in the store, it's the completely square, you know, it's a complete rectangle of ribs. But what you And by default, they're a little smaller, they're a little shorter, because you've cut that piece of the rib off. Right. It, it, there's there's cartilage that's at the end of that breastbone that, uh, that they call it knuckle meat if you're cooking it and, and serving it. Um, there's some really good, juicy fatty parts of the of a pork rib in that knuckle meat that i personally love that's my favorite part it's it, mine as well uh, some people it's not their thing um you know if you especially if you've grown up eating mostly you know st louis cut ribs you may not like the 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 knuckle meat for lack of a better term but you know we personally like it we think it's a meatier rib um it to but, me but st louis a, dry out a little easier and there's there's but there's one aspect of the spare ribs that that is difficult if somebody is just cooking a couple of racks of ribs for their home and that is that is the the rib tips that you cut off. You've got to do something with those, otherwise you're just throwing meat away. Right. You know what, what we'll do is if we're cooking beans for the pop up, we'll you know we'll add those into the beans. Um, we'll cut as much meat off of there if we're doing uh, like a pork and beef blend sausage, um, and we'll use that that meat for sausage. We, you know we try to use utilize as much of the meat as we can to you know to be responsible with the product that we're using, and you know obviously to cut down on waste as well. Um, you know, we, we remove the membrane, which is on the back, uh, on the back of the ribs. We remove that from every rack of ribs that we cook. I know a lot of places that cook in super high volume do not remove the membrane just for, you know, more than anything, because it takes time. And if you're, you know, if you're cooking 40 racks of ribs for a service, 
you may not want to sit there and pull the membrane off of 40 racks of ribs. We don't generally cook in that high a volume right now, so it's not that, you know, not that time consuming for us to do. And to me, it's just, it, it's, it's a better bite to, to be able to pick up a rib and not have to worry about having that inedible membrane at the bottom of the rib. And it's not a lot of work. You know, again, if you're, if you're doing a hundred racks of ribs, yeah, there's some time involved there. Uh, but it's not a tremendous amount of work. I believe it allows the smoke to kind of permeate a little bit more on that side. There's not a whole lot of meat on that side, but there's some, uh, you know, and it, and it just from a consumption aspect, it, it's not, it doesn't just look better, but it is better. Uh, go to a little bit of effort, peel that membrane off. There's plenty of Google videos you can go look at to see how to do that. Right. You know, and, and like I said, that whether it's St. Louis or whether it's spares that are your thing, you know, ribs are ribs. They're, they're not rocket science to cook. Um, it, I'll say the the one we don't do this. So the three two one method, right? I mean, you know, I think it stemmed from competition. It's a great way to cook a rib if you're just getting into it. And what that means is it's three hours. You wrap it for two hours, and then you unwrap it for an hour. The wrap is aluminum foil. When you wrap it, you put in something like butter and barbecue sauce. You make it that gives you that that sweet but also very buttery flavor, very moist. We don't do our ribs exactly that way. But it's a good way to it's a good way to cook ribs if you're just starting out. It's very easy to make quality ribs that way. Right, and and like I said, ribs are they're not the hardest thing in the world to cook. It does, you know it does take some timing to really find out when you get to that really good sweet spot where the rib is you know perfectly cooked. Which again, if you're not familiar, fall off the bone is something you hear a lot of times with ribs. But as most of the you know barbecue experts will tell you, a perfectly cooked rib is a rib that stays on the bone but the meat comes off easily when you bite it um, and so that's obviously what we always aim for um, it's always to, to us it's always better to slightly overcook your rib than undercook your rib because no one wants to have to you know gnaw it off the bone but uh but finding that that sweet spot in the timing is it, it takes some time especially you know when you're cooking in a higher volume then timing becomes a, a bigger aspect but ribs are another thing that they hold pretty well you just have to know how to hold them like we talked about before you know don't don't put them in the in a cooler with a with a 200 degree brisket or you're just going to cook them even more i was gonna say and, and you can cook ribs a little hotter so generally um you know brisket 225 250 ribs 250 275 somewhere right around there works fine yeah 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 i mean it'll get you good smoke on the ribs um we you know you, you usually wrap around the three hour mark give or take um and we usually cook them give or take for about five hours it just depends on I was like five to six yeah is pretty common. it depends on how big the rack of ribs are how many we're cooking what else might be on the pit at the do you time like big racks of ribs <laughs> we're not going there I, I was just asking <laughs> i like big racks of ribs i'll tell you and and you know i don't know um who gets which ones where across every barbecue restaurant but um there's absolutely some some purveyors some meat purveyors and there's some big monster spare rack ribs. oh yeah and that's and, and it it really is good i mean it's they're almost i've seen some that are as big as a, a beef chuck rib um just these big mallets of meat you know and uh, when they're done right i i was not a fan of pork ribs you know when i started out cooking i was like pork is for bacon you know just just leave the ribs alone it's it's brisket and sausage for me that's what i grew up with um my first great pork rib was at Snow's, and ever since then, there's plenty of places that I've had great pork ribs at since, um, but it, it kind of taught me that there really is quality of a pork rib when it's done right. Right, yeah, and you know, that's uh, that's one of my favorite things to eat. Uh, you know, a, a perfectly cooked pork rib that's just got like a, a, you know, a good peppery rub and just maybe a little bit of a glaze on it, it's just, you know, it's, it's just a great bite of meat. 
But uh, we'll go ahead and wind this one down here. I know we've gotten a little bit long on it. Um, again, if you're you know if you're interested in trying our barbecue, uh, our next pop up is going to be on July twenty second. Who, who's our? What are you talking about? Uh, oh yeah, I guess yeah, I we should didn't even tell it. them. You know, yeah. It, it you know it's probably um, proper anyway to mention this anyway. So we do barbecue. We try not. We try to split our our blogs, our podcasts, and everything out so that we're not purely promoting ourselves that's not what this is about but but we think it's fair to mention it anyway and um you know who are we yeah uh double back barbecue um you can find us across pretty much any social media platform doubleback.com at doubleback.bbq on twitter and instagram you can find us at doubleback.bbq on facebook or slash or whatever the heck they use these days um, but yeah we're going to be back out at the hop stop in old town umble on saturday july 22nd um looks like we'll be there for a late dun- late lunch and dinner service uh, probably about two to eight although we'll uh, provide more details through social media as uh, as we get things firmed up um, we're going to have some of the the favorites out there you know, you know some of the normal fare we'll also have obviously the chicken enchilada sausage and we've got a couple of uh, ideas in the test kitchen right now that uh if they if they pass our standards then you'll see them on the menu i'm pretty excited about that and we're not going to tell them but i'm pretty excited about some of the stuff we're working up to right you know, it's uh, we're we're getting a little weird but uh, <laughs> but in a good way not, you know nothing crazy we're not serving any crazy meats but uh, but we're we're trying to be as creative as possible to bring a little something different to the barbecue community and put our spin on some things so uh we hope to see you guys out there uh we appreciate you listening and hopefully you got some good information out of this yep. see you guys out on the barbecue trail <laughs>